So soon we'll be reading Megillah Secha, we'll be davening Mariv. And really this is an in-between time. It's too early to daven Mariv and read the Megillah. You're ready fasting. So the best use of your time, our time right now, is to try to get into some kind of mood to transition from uh, the life in the world of falseness to the world of truth. And as we will see, Megillus Echa, it follows a pattern of the Aleph base. And the commentaries discuss why it follows the pattern of the Aleph base. And one of the obvious reasons is because the Jewish people have transgressed the Torah that has all the letters of the Aleph base. But I want to share with you an idea from Rabchizkiah Mishkovsky uh, that he. Uh, I think it's a very beautiful concept. We know also that if you want to know what night of the year is Pesach, it's the same night as Tisha B'Av. And this year, Pesach, the Seder was on Wednesday night. And uh, there's a lot of connections between Pesach and Tisha B'Av. And with this understanding, maybe we can know another one. When you, what do you associate Chorban with? Just try to imagine the temple is destroyed, it's being overrun by Babylonians, being overrun by Romans. I'm sure you've seen enough movies of wars when cities go down and people are killing people, people are running, it's like crazy. Everything is lost, everything is destroyed. It's the biggest balagana around. It's like total you don't know what's going on. And you think things just are totally hefker. And therefore, the Navi Yirmiyo says, you know, I know what you're seeing, but I want you to know that everything is going in an order just like the olive base. The olive base is in order. The olive comes before base. The base comes before gimel. That is the quintessential order. And for us to think that a destruction is a lack of order, you're making a big mistake. You have to understand from the Jewish perspective of Hurban, there is a reason for the Hurban. There is cause and effect. There is the right time for it to happen. There is measure for measure. It's no such thing, it was just the wrong people at the wrong time, the wrong uh, geopolitical climate, and we just didn't, you know, and everything just is random. We have to know just like on the Seder night, when we are expressing our joy and our redemption, we know that redemption also, when you, when you are redeemed, everything looks like it's falling into perfect order. There's an order of the four expressions of redemption, first the first expression, then the second one, then the third, and everything goes into an order of growth and redemption. And people might make the wrong mistake and think when there's destruction, the whole natural order has been destroyed. The ant and the Navi is saying, not so. It's as orderly as Olive Bay's Gimel Dalad. And to know that Hashem is directing it precisely in the order it is supposed to be. And everyone, whoever, whatever happens to every single book, book person, as the famous saying goes, every bullet has an address. 
every suffering that came to the Jewish people is in meticulous order with Hashem taking care of every single detail that happened to the Jews. And that's an important idea because if we don't have that idea and we think that the, our, our Jewish world order has collapsed, then we give up on the whole religion. So that's one idea we should think about when we're noticing the olive base. And just like we see that the collapse has an order, so we see from Pesach that the, uh, the uh, redemption has an order. And we have to try to find some order in our lives to orderly get out of the situation that we are in. The Gomorrah Suvas tells us a story with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. This is during the destruction years after the Beis Hamish was destroyed. He's riding on a donkey. He's leaving Yerushalayim. His students are walking after him. And then there's a young woman who is collecting little bits of barley in between the manure from an Arab animal. That's how desperately hungry they were to pick through the manure and to try to find if it's a kernel of wheat that did not get digested from the donkey to try to live on that. And she turns to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaki and says, Rebbe, help me with some, some food. And he says, my daughter, who are you? And she says to him, I am the daughter of Nakdimon ben Gurion. And he said to her, my daughter, what happened to your father's money? He was the wealthiest Jew in Jerusalem. What happened to his money? So she said, Rebbe, don't you know the mushal that uh, if you want to salt your money and keep it forever, you should do what? Take away from your money and constantly give tzedakah. And the way Rashi explains, although he gave tzedakah, he didn't give tzedakah on the level he was supposed to. And the same thing regarding chesed, that if you do chesed, that'll also be a way of maintaining your wealth. And it appears that her father did not do chesed and stuck it to the level that he should. So they said, what about your father-in-law? Where is he? He was also a wealthy man. Well, he was a guarantor on my father's wealth, so they both lost everything. And she says to him, Rabbi, do you remember you signed my ksuva? He says, yes, I remember. There were thousands and thousands of gold coins uh, uh, written in the ksuva. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai sees this state. He cries. And while he cries, he says, Ashrechem Yisrael, fortunate are you, the Jewish people, that in the time that they do the will of Hashem, no nation can dominate over us. And at the times that we don't do the will of Hashem, we are given over to the lowest nation, and not only to the lowest nation, but even to the animals of the lowest nation, referencing picking out the granules from the manure. So let's remember, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka, he saw this terrible Chorban. He saw Yerushalayim, the upheaval that happened, a tremendous tragedy. And now a Jewish girl has to pick kernels of wheat in such a dishonorable way. And not just any animal, but the Goyish animal, a tremendous tragedy. He saw one downfall after another. 
And when he hears that she is the daughter of Nakdimon Ben-Gurion, he begins to absorb the understanding of how the depth of judgment, how Hashem judges us. Why was Nakdimon Ben-Gurion called Nakdimon? There's a very famous story. It says, The son stayed for him, didn't set so quickly. What's the story? It's a long story. I'll just briefly say it. There was a great shortage of water. And Nakdimon Ben-Gurion borrowed tremendous amount of wells from a non-Jewish governor. And he wanted to borrow the water so the Jews would be able to have what to drink to go for the Shlosh Regalim. And he didn't have the money to pay back. And what happened? Hashem did a miracle for him. He did a miracle for him that right the time he has to pay back, a huge thunderstorm comes and fills up all the wells that needed to. Ah, but it filled it up after the deadline the sun had set. So Hashem brought the sun back to not set. So you see what kind of Incredible tzaddik was this Nakdimon Ben-Gurion. Obviously, it was an incredible Baal Tzedakah. And yet Hashem is so meticulous with the righteous that the slightest deviation from what's proper, look at what happens. And to this, Rabbi Yochanan cries. But the question is, why does he add Ashrechem Yisrael? Fortunate are you Jewish people. When we do the will of Hashem, no one can touch us. But if we don't, look how low we are. How do we understand that? You're crying at one hand and say how fortunate we are on the other hand. So a lot of people say this vort. Rabbi Steinman, Zechariah said this vort. And this all <clears throat> relates to the concept of the suffering of the righteous and the success of the wicked. And we know Chazal say that the wicked people receive their reward for anything they do good in this world. They receive it in this world. But in the next world, all they're going to get is punishment, the Rishayim. On the other hand, the Tzadikim, the reward for all their good deeds, that is waiting in the long RRSP and Shemayim to be their Olam Haba. And since there isn't a Tzadik in the world who doesn't make a mistake and sin, so whatever they've done wrong, Hashem makes sure to cleanse them out in this world with various sufferings. So when they get to the next world, it's totally clean. So that's the common understanding. But there is a question. Where is the justice? Why do we pay the wicked person in this world, which will end while the tzaddik, we wait for the next world? So if Steinman explains like this, he says, you have to know something about the Jewish soul. The way you treat your Jewish soul and the way your soul um, gets uh, acclimated to what life is in this world, that point of view of the soul remains eternally in Olam Haba. Whatever faulty mitos you had or faulty understandings of reality in this world, those deficiencies go with you into next world. Things don't magically change. Don't think you can shortchange your Yiddishkeit in this world and then magic happens. You die and you go to Gehenna for a little while and then you're going to enjoy eternal bliss. No such a thing. What you are when you leave this world 
to a great extent, that's what you are when you go into the next world. So let's think about the souls of the wicked. The wicked person, he's only interested in the physical pleasures of this world. And when he goes into the next world, what does he value? He values the physical pleasures of the next world. People who really focus on sports, Lamarshal, you don't have to be a wicked person for that. But if that is your ta'anug, that is your pleasure, that will be your pleasure in the next world. But it's only one problem. There'll be no games. It'll be like it was during the, uh, the, the corona when they stopped sports. People are going out of their minds. Well, at least then they could probably look at old videos of 30 years ago. But in Shemayim, there aren't going to be any videos. They're going to literally go out of their mind. And this is what Rav Desser says is called the Kaf HaKela, that slingshot where the souls of the wicked will have no rest, they have nowhere to go. They're only interested in Gashmias. He says, what do we do in this place, the next world? He says, well, if you'd like to hear a shir from Rabbi Akiva, that's in that room. You'd like to hear a shir from Moshe Rabbeinu, that's in that room. He says, I never liked a shir when I was in this world, and I don't like it now either. So he's going to go out of his, what's he going to do? He's going to keep looking and looking. Maybe we'll find a, a sports event somewhere. Won't find any. Because the great pleasure is there. But if you never became a connoisseur of spirituality, you will not become one in the next world. So therefore, why should Hashem waste and save for them eternal spiritual pleasure when it doesn't speak to the wicked person? He's not interested in spirituality. So Hashem has to be fair. He has to give him what he wants. So God, have all the things you want in this world, all the physical pleasure in this world, whatever mitzvahs you did, go enjoy here. Here's a hockey game. Here's a trip to Florida. Here's this, all these things. I'm not saying rights people can't do those things. But if your sole focus is on physical pleasure and your Yiddishkeit is just, eh, it's a nice little hobby. The Christians have their religion. I have my religion. It looks nice to come to shul, have friends to schmooze with. But if that's not what your pleasure in life is, and your pleasure is focused on other things, so there's nothing of that in Eilam Abba. So Hashem has to be fair. You get what you want. And therefore, they don't suffer very much in this world because every mitzvah you do is so powerful. You've got to get a lot in this world to come to just a drop of what it would be in Eilam Abba. On the other hand, the souls of tzaddikim, they are only interested in a spiritual connection to Hashem. They don't get any innate pleasure with the physical world. They engage with the physical world. They use the physical world. But they know the physical world is merely a tool to spirituality. Imagine if you'd want to give Rav Shach, Zechron a million dollars. Enjoy yourself. Rav Shach wouldn't know what to do with the money. He'd say, give it to the yeshiva. I don't need any million dollars. Imagine you want to treat Rebel Yashav Zichron Levrocha, give him a fancy meal with rib steak and everything. He's, he's not interested in it. Totally not interested. These are not valuable to them. Its value is only in terms of, okay, I'll give tzedakah to people. You give me a good steak, I'll give it to another yid who'll appreciate a good steak. Rav Steinman, he ate gruel. 
every day. It was fine. Didn't need anything more than that. So wh where's all their reward coming? Oh, because they, they want the next world where it's totally unadulterated spiritual pleasure. They're enjoying spiritual pleasure in this world, but the unadulterated, unfiltered is in the next world. So in case, imagine Sadiq does us the slightest, slightest little sin, a, a, a little smudge. So Hashem is very particular. Even that little bit I want to clean out from him so that it's pure when it comes to the next world. Now we understand, so why is Hashem so precise with the tzaddikim? And what you can see is the more precise Hashem is with a tzaddik, the more a tzaddik suffers, you know it's clear for only one reason, to make his reward more perfect in the next world. Because that's what the tzaddik really wants. So he gets totally cleansed in this world. So in Reochanan ben Zakkai, he sees the tragedy of a great Jewish philanthropist who really did give a lot of money to Tzedakah. But on his level, whatever that level was, he was missing just a little bit. And now you see what kind of suffering is going on. So he understands that the Jewish people are full of spirituality. And their lives are not satisfied with physical rewards. It's only for the next world. So Ashrechem Yisrael, fortunate are the Jewish people that there's such an omek hadin, there's such a precision of judgment that Hashem is trying to clean out the littlest bit. Now I'm sure you can, we can just give an analogy. I'm sure many of you are having difficulty with this because it's very hard to imagine there's something called spiritual pleasure in this world. Well, just imagine an athlete. How much suffering do athletes go through? Self-inflicted. So they'll be able to run a few seconds faster in a mile. Their diet is a very special diet. They run to the point, or you know, like, or in exercise, and when they say, feel the burn. Feel the burn. I wonder where they got that from. Maybe it's like Gehenna. Feel the burn. The tzaddik understands, feel the burn. Things are not going easy, feel the burn. Because I'm a marathon sprinter, it's an eternal race that I have to be ready for. And therefore, I'm, I'm happy that these people for the Olympics, they're mamish going through Yesurim mamish to run 50 miles, 100 miles, crazy, crazy amounts. It's painful. But they love it. They get this runner's high. It's great. We look at them, you guys are nuts. But they're enjoying it. Multiply that a hundred times more. We're talking about a tzaddik and what eternal pleasure is. It's the greatest deal on earth. I know it's very hard for us. You need a Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai to be able to absorb it. On the one hand, he cries. He cries and realizes there's real pain. And he's not minimizing the pain that's there. And he empathizes with the pain of this girl. But just as well as we empathize with, empathize with the pain, we have to realize there's a Seder to everything. Aleph Bey's Gimel Dalit. And when destruction comes, it's not just destruction, as we mentioned on Shabbos in one of the classes, it's, it's renovations, it's rebuilding. 
And therefore we have to have complete, our, our job is to have a muna that everything is going in order. And therefore, as we look at current events, that if you're really looking at current events and you did not believe in Hashem, boy, I'd be scared. I'd be very scared what's happening. I don't have to go through the current events. Anybody who has eyes in their head can see how the world is, is going to, to self-destruct. But if you understand this too, is with a Seder, with an olive base, that we may not understand totally, but we have a Muna that Hashem does. So if there's a Seder to how we have to suffer when there's Horbin, we said there's a Seder how to get out of things. So what is it our job to do? What is this, for the last three weeks, what have we been supposed to be focusing on and at least on Tisha B'Av where we don't go to work? What should be the central focus? And the question is really, Hashem just wants to find out what kind of people are we? 364 days of the year, well, there's a lot of challenges. But what's our central focus? Is it physical pleasure in this world or spirituality? What are we really invested in? What things really pique our interest? What things are we willing to make a lot of effort in this world? And it like came so crystal clear as you're reading in the Jewish papers that tonight in Eretz Yisrael, in Tel Aviv, there's a number of restaurants who Bedavka wanted to be open on Tisha B'Av. Bedavka. And rabbis were begging them not to be open. It's Tisha B'Av. And of course they have the lame excuse, well, with the judicial reform and this and that, Bedavka. While some people were respectful and said we will close, but others said I will not close. And what do you have? A group of uh, religious people on the street they're saying Echa in front of the stores that are open on Tisha B'Av. This is exactly crystallizing what Tisha B'Av is. You have on the one hand, in the store, people are saying, my life is for physical things. I have nothing to do with religion, and I really hate religion. The other hand, people right across the store are really mourning, oh, this is what destruction is, this is what Chorban is. And there's not it's so sad that another Jew doesn't appreciate the great heritage he has, the great power he has. And that's the question. Just like on tel, in Tel Aviv, people are deciding on Tisha B'Av, what really is important to me? Making a few extra dollars? Or worrying and connecting to the Beis Hamikdash and all that spirituality represents with that. And that's why the prophet said, he said, for what, for what was the land destroyed? Alma of the Ha'aretz, we'll say that a few times. And the truth of the matter is, the land was lost because the people lost themselves. The land was destroyed, the temple was destroyed because it was only a reflection of the people who were destroying themselves. Tisha B'Av is another one of these days of judgment, but a different kind of a judgment. It's a day where we judge ourselves. We look at our, um, our uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The litmus test 
we're trying to look at our spiritual meters. How important is spirituality to us? How real important is it? Are you willing to take a day off of work and focus on a base amygdala that although we don't really appreciate what we lost, but we appreciate that we, that we should be appreciating it and we're trying so desperately to connect to that, or is it not important to us? The Vilna Gon explains, as we will say in the davening, we say in benching, davening, Bonei Yerushalayim. Hashem, we bless Hashem, the builder of Jerusalem. And the question, obviously, it should be, it should say, Yivne Yerushalayim. Hashem should build Yerushalayim. And the Vilna Gon explains that the tears that we shed for the destruction of Yerushalayim every day, that is presently rebuilding Yerushalayim. Every tear Hashem collects every one and it builds another stone, a spiritual stone in Yerushalayim. So we think a little bit, if every tear builds another stone, so what about the sufferings that we see? What about the fact that this year more Jews have been murdered in Eretz Yisrael from terrorists since the Obama days? Do we shed any tears for that? Is it a, is it a tragedy? Personal sorrows that happen to us, they don't really stop, but perhaps those tears, which really all come back to the loss of the Beis Hamikdash, Hashem takes each one of those tears, and that's rebuilding our Beis Hamikdash. We have to remember that Hashem is very happy to build the Beis Hamikdash. He's been prepared for a long time to rebuild it. But the question is, how badly do we want it? They say about Rabbi Aryeh Leib Malin, who was the, built up the yeshiva based on Talmud. And there were two brachim who wanted to get into his yeshiva, and they lived far away. It took an hour and a half to get to his yeshiva to get a test. And at the end of the test, the Rosh yeshiva didn't say anything. Didn't say anything. So since he didn't say anything, they figured they didn't pass the test. And they figured they got to come back another time. So they come a second time. And they speak in learning with the Rosh Yeshiva. And at the end, the Rosh Yeshiva again doesn't say anything. So the boys are getting nervous. So with a very trembling voice, one of the boys asked him, he said, have we been accepted or not, Rebbe? So Rebbe said, you were accepted from the last time already. So why didn't the Rosh Yeshiva tell us the first time? You didn't ask. When you don't ask, you don't get don't ask, you don't get. Many years ago, Rav Mishkovsky's wife was davening on a Yom Kippur cut in a shul with another one of the Rebetzins. And it was a very difficult time for the Jewish people. A lot of tzoros were happening. There was a lot of emotion. A lot of people came to shul on Yom Kippur cut on Zerah And they were crying. And at the end of the davening, one Rebetzin said to the other, says, look, look how many tears we shed for all the suffering that's happening in Eretz Yisrael. Oh, if we would have the seichel and we would cry for the Beis Hamikdash as much as we cry for all the tragedies that are happening to people, all our tears would have stopped. See, the problem is we forget the ikar. All the suffering that goes on is all because of the Beis Hamikdash. And really, instead of crying for so many individual events that happens that are very sad, really only have to cry for one. If we cry for one, we wouldn't have to cry for anything else. 
with this, we also understand the concept that the rabbi said we should do something zecher lechurban. You do things in a remembrance of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. We know the famous examples, and in case you haven't done them yet, you still should do that. We live, we leave a square ama in the front in a very prom- prominent part of the house that's not painted and that looks not nice. Why? So when if somebody comes out and says, what's that? He says, because the base of me is just destroyed. <coughs> when a chassan is getting married, we put a little ash on his head. And it's so unfortunate that when I suggest that to certain chassanim, present company excluded, they're more worried, is going to wreck the pictures? Is the little ash, I said, don't worry, it's not going to ruin your pictures. When I, when I do that, I feel so terrible. I said, this chassan does not have any idea what is going on. If he's afraid that the picture won't be 100%, if there's a little bit of ash, that's, that's, that's what's on their mind. It's, it's very sad. And there's all kinds of other, we break the glass. Uh, women don't put on all their jewelry. All these different things, but they're all to remember Yerushalayim. And the Gemara tells us when the Beis Hamish was destroyed, literally people had no desire to continue living. The Gemara Baba Basra tells us when the second temple was destroyed, many Jews wanted to go vegan now. They didn't, not because they were vegans, but they didn't want to eat meat, they didn't want to drink wine. And one of the rabbis said, why? He said, I'll tell you, when we had a Beis Hamikdash, the Beis Hamikdash got meat and the Beis Hamikdash got wine. If the base of Mish doesn't get meat or wine, why should we have meat or wine? Another area, they didn't want to be married to their women. They didn't want to have kids. And why did they say that? It says, because all, all that happens, we have kids and the Romans destroy them. They kill them in the most inhumane ways. Why should we continue living? Let the seed of Avram end in a pleasant way. Now, right or not, this was expressing, at the end of the day, the rabbi said, we can't do that, obviously. But the, at the end of the day, the people, they lost their joie de vivre. Life without the Beis HaMikdash was no life. And therefore, when we say the Haftorah, Brachas, Rachem al Zion, have mercy on Zion, ki hi beis chayenu, because it is the house of our lives. V'la'aluvas nefesh toshia bimheirameinu, and please, uh, correct all our, our sadness of our souls that it should be built. How many of us really feel that bracha that it's the basement was base chayenu? And that every time we see the mosque over there, we really feel terrible that there's a mosque over there. How many tears do we shed when we see the mosque over there? Or rather, it makes a really great photo, doesn't it? Got this great mosque. I got the mosque and the sun shining off of it. That's a really amazing picture. You know, Rabbi Steinman, Zichron Levacha, he only sat on a chair without a back. Just the, the bench part, not the, the back for support in the back. Well, I guess it worked for him over 100 years. If that's, that's what it takes to live over 100, I, I'd buy into that. So people were wondering, like, why, why can't he just have a regular chair? So they asked one of the people who are close to Rosh Yeshiva, why don't you give him a nice chair? He says, Rashiva doesn't want. So why does he want? So Simon said, 
if the throne of Hashem is not complete, I should have a throne that's complete. These are people who lived with this aspect. The Maril Diskin was the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim a long time ago. There were great tragedies were happening in Yerushalayim and they were trying to do all kinds of spiritual uh, solutions and they were not succeeding. So the Maril, as they say, made a Shelat Chacham, Kalom. He wrote a question under his pillow and only great people do this. I would not suggest you do this. You're just going to get crumpled stuff under your pillow. But he got an answer from Shemayim. And the answer said from Hashem, Li ain bias. I do not have a home. Shualim hilchavo, foxes are jumping in my home. Vatem memalim schok pichem. And you are filling your mouths with joy. And you're dancing at weddings with music and all kinds of instruments. That was the message he got back from Hashem. Immediately the Maral disc in Medetakana only for Yerushalayim, so be okay with that, until today in the from quarters that there's no musical instruments except for a drum. That's it. As soon as they made the Takana, the plague stopped. Okay, so if you understand, so, so what, what, what are we, what's there to live for? As Jews, what is there to live for? You look in the non-Jewish world, they don't know what's to live for. So many people are just taking drugs, getting killed with fentanyl. What kind of life are they having? Just to tear down other people? I mean, there is, you know, for those of you that are um, connected to the electronic media, I would expect at least one lesson you'd get is that most of the people are just downright miserable people. They're nasty, miserable people. Just trying to destroy everybody. And this is, and it's from the best of society as a whole. I'm not saying there aren't any special people. But what is there to really live for? There is no Beis Hamikdash. We are despondent. The Shekhinah is not with us. So what is the goal? What's the purpose of life for a Jew? And to that, the Gemara Brachas tells us, this is the answer. Miyom Shechara Beis Hamikdash, from the time the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, Hashem really has nothing to do with this world or doesn't really get satisfaction from this world. Ella Arba Amos just the four Amos of Halacha. For Hashem, what He really loves is Jews engaged in His Torah, living a life of His Torah. This is all really what there is in this world. We had a base Amigdash, a place where we could act on a lot of our Torah, but we don't even have that. So now we have whatever is left of that. And there's a lot. There's a lot of Svarim, a lot of Torah, a lot of Torah dick behavior. It's not just learning Torah. It's living Torah, behaving like a Torah individual. I want to know in your social media things that you see in the news, do you see anybody who lives according to Torah, even according to seven Noahide laws? There's nothing in this world. That's why the world is falling apart. That's the Seder of this world. We are so privileged to see 
that it's happening exactly as the Navi says it's going to happen. The world is self-destructing, but there's nothing to worry about. If you're into that world, oh, you got a lot to worry about. But if you're into the world of Dalad Amashel Halacha, then you know you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And for that, it's worth to be alive. To be alive in a community of people who have the number one priority in their lives is Torah. And together with that is to living according to the way the Torah tells us to live. These are the instructions to have the greatest pleasure in life. Although most people aren't connoisseurs in it. But if you make the effort and you struggle, you will be able to unearth it. And you'll be able to feel such a tremendous sense of specialness when you see that people are hurting you and you don't even have a thought of taking revenge on that person. Do you know what sense of greatness you feel inside yourself? Do you know how wonderful it feels that when you look back 25 years ago, before a person totally got himself into the Torah lifestyle and revenge was one of their tastiest dishes they served on the menu and always worried about what will happen here, what will happen there. And then you come to situations now that you're living a Torah lifestyle and you've totally absorbed the message and you don't, you're not, you, you've been inoculated against that lower type of behavior. Revenge is no pleasure for me. Turning away from people and bearing a grudge, yuck, I can't stand it. And I don't have to run after every kite to really believe that you've outgrown childish behaviors, childish pleasures. And to know I live a much more glorious life. I'm, I'm connected to something so much more meaningful because I'm very busy. We are all busy putting more bricks onto the base Hamikdash. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Everyone themselves has to ask, be honest with myself. What, what really gives me pleasure in this world? What really makes me sad? And you see something very special. In the Medrash on Eicha in the beginning, it says Hashem can be mavater. Hashem could let a lot of our sins go. He can be mavater on idol worship. He can be mavater on immorality. He can be mavater on murder. But he cannot be mavater on people who are repulsed by Torah. As the Novi says, for what was the land lost for? It doesn't say the land was lost because of the three cardinal sins. It says, al torasi, they left my Torah. So that's a difficult uh, piece of Talmud, Medrash, to understand. What does it mean Hashem can be mavater? He does, he's not mavater on, on the people who are repulsed by Torah, uh, but, but he can be mavater on the three cardinal sins? But it says the first base of Mish was destroyed because of the three cardinal sins. What are you saying? No, it's because Hashem couldn't be mavater on the Torah. So the al Sheikh gives a tremendous mashal. Oh. There's a king who had a servant who knew how to play 
a musical instrument very nicely and it calmed the king down. He was always so happy to hear the music from him. One day he hears the news that the musician, his beloved musician, uh, was, uh, was a highway robber in a bad way. You know, we got to punish him. The king says, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. Little time later, they give him news. You want to know that serving you? He's killed people. He says, you know what? I don't want to talk about it. King, you, you can't be silent. You can't give it the Joe Biden treatment. You know, these are terrible things are happening. Hunter is doing a lot of terrible things. I don't want to talk about it. Then they tell him, he's, they caught him in a two-bit burglary. But in the burglary, he was trying to run around and he fell and this and that. He banged against the wall and he damaged his fingers. He crippled his fingers. When the king heard that, he says, oh, kill him. So he said, wait a minute. A highway robber, let him go. He murdered people, let him go. A two-bit uh, robbery, kill him? He said, I'll tell you. As long as his fingers were good and he could play music, I don't care what he did. I wanted to hear the music, it's soothing. But once his fingers were broken, I have no use for him anymore, so just kill him. Says the Al Sheikh HaKadosh. He says the Jewish people could have done a lot of sins. Immorality, idol worship, terrible, terrible things, murder. But if we were playing music to Hashem, and the most beautiful music is the music of Torah that gives Hashem a lot of satisfaction because as long as they're connected to the Torah, there's still hope that they will change. They still know what I like to hear and they're being challenged and they're doing sins and I'm not, I'm not ignoring the sins, but there's still hope for them because as long as you are involved in Torah and you're involved with an, a reality that's higher than your lowliness it gives Hashem a lot of pleasure and there's a great chance that you will come back and that's what it says in Pirkei Avos it's chassid, an ignorant person cannot be righteous it's not possible to have a proper life if there's no Torah there you still have a chance. And that's what Eov's criticism was. Hashem, you gave us a Yetzirah. How do you expect to overcome it? Hashem says, I gave you Yetzirah, but I gave you a Torah to ameliorate it. So therefore, we realize that yes, we may have done things that are not so appropriate. But what's the one thing Hashem cannot forgive us for? If we don't play his song. If Torah is not important for us because then we've given up, there's all hope is lost. And we know in the 1800s, when the Haskalah movement was very strong, it did a lot of damage to the yeshiva world. There was a certain attraction for this new age learning, great opportunities. And unfortunately, many yeshiva brachim who were living in poverty, they couldn't resist this Yetzirah and they, they went away from the derech. So in the Voloshin Yeshiva, there were three exceptional students. Three exceptional students. One had a tremendous yichus, a tremendous pedigree. 
And the second one had tremendous midos. And the third one learned Torah with Hasmada, worked hard in his Torah. They each had three great qualities. But unfortunately, those three all left to the Haskalah. And Reb Chaim Voloshin was, was heartbroken. And he was wondering if they will, if any of them will do tshuva. So he had a dream. And the Vilna Gon came to him in a dream. And he said to his premier student, Reb Chaim, he said, you should know students that went off the derech, even though they had great pedigree, listen, they don't have any better than anybody else. We have schus alvas of Avram, Yisuk, and Yaakov. So they're not any more special. And uh, that alone isn't going to bring them back. The fact this boy had great midos, and although it, it, it's not a shield against retribution, because there are non-Jews who have some good midos too. So even good midos won't help you from this. On the other hand, the Bakr who was studying Torah with great diligence, even though he went away, I guarantee you he will come back and do tshuva. Because the Torah does not allow someone who engaged and toiled in Torah to deny God and to leave the way. The light of that Torah has to come back and bring him back. So years passed. And Reb Chaim Velazhin was interested to know what happened with the three students. So he found out that the one with the great Yuchus totally gave up everything in Yiddishkeit. Not, nothing. Married out the worst. The student with the good Midos, he became a philosopher and he converted out of religion. He got baptized. The third student who was diligent in Torah, he became a professor. Okay. And this professor was, he was very, very successful professor. He was going up the ranks in university. And then, but you know, to go further, the people in charge says, if you want to get any further in your university pursuits, you'll have to convert out of your religion. And so if you don't do that, you're never going to go any further. As a matter of fact, we're probably going to fire you. And they pressured him greatly to convert. And he really wanted to advance. They wanted him to advance. Everybody wanted him to advance. And there was tremendous pressure. One day, all of a sudden, surprise, he quits. That's it. He left the university. And he's going to make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. So on the way, he says, before I go to Israel, I want to stop by my former Rebbe, Reb Chaim of Olozhin, and get a bracha from him. And when Reb Chaim sees the bacher, he's got to keep on his head again. He's back on the track. So he said to him, what was it that brought you back to tshuva? What brought you back to Torah and to give up the other lifestyle? And the student who was crying at this time, he said, well, a short time after they gave me the ultimatum, I wanted to go back to my birthplace. And one night I was passing by a base medrash and the window was open. And I heard the beautiful, sweet sounds of the study of Talmud. And I was drawn to the window and I was stuck and glued to the window. The beautiful voice of Torah was playing like a beautiful instrument. The one I remembered when I was in Volazhin. 
and my ears made it feel to me as if I was in the base medrash and all those days of discussing Torah and all this was all coming back and that moment pierced right into my heart and I understood that I could not abandon it and that's how he was able to come back so Reboisai today is the day that we should not look forward for it to end so quickly. I know most of us have taken various pills and medications to make sure that we will be able to be awake and to, to handle the rigors of the day. But please remember what the day is about. The day is about to say, where are we holding exactly? To be honest with ourselves and to know that there is a Seder in everything that's going on over here. Looks like all the world is not in Seder. But the truth is, for the rest of the world, they may not be in any Seder. But God is in a Seder. And the question is, do you want to come to Hashem's Seder on Tisha B'Av or not? The way we answer that question on Tisha B'Av will have eternal ramifications for us, for Klal Yisrael. We pray for the day that we will all be able to come to Tel Aviv and there will be no Tisha B'Av in Tel Aviv. And there'll be no stores open on Shabbos. There'll be no Chilil Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael. There'll be no gay parades in Yerushalayim. Hashem will no longer have to be scorned by people who have lived lives without any order. To feel the pain of HaKadosh Baruch Hu now and to be so joyous when the time will come. Mashiach will come. Bimheirav Yameinu. Amen. Okay, we'll start Marv shortly.